0: Janet Hanson, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School Women in Leadership 85 Broads podcast series today. Now, you gave a wonderful talk at the beginning where you talked about being CEO and founder of 85 Broads. And instead of sitting before me as a successful woman, you started with your career as a, as a caddy or pro in a golf shop, just helping out. So can we go back to those early days to begin with, And say,
1: what was it that made you the woman you are today? Wow. Um, I would say um, being inspired by other people, um, and particularly this Dan Crowley, who was this individual who was at St. Andrews, who said, go for it. And no one had ever said that to me before. And um, so he said, this is what you're capable of doing. And I said, I don't think so. Um, so it was being inspired and challenged at an early age. And because I'm a competitive person, played athletics um, as a child and then a teenager, um, that, that sort of um, spoke to my competitiveness. And if he thought I could do it, then I said, going to give it a try. And that's pretty much what I've done throughout my whole life.
0: And so then you set out getting qualifications, going to business school, being told that your marks were the lowest ever and that you might fail. Can you talk us about a bit through that? Because what seems to me, when we traditionally think women always want to do twice as much work and be twice as diligent, you just told people not to fail you.
1: Um, I think what I proved um, was that success is not necessarily based on grades, uh, and so while I did not distinguish myself academically at Columbia Business School, um, I got great training, and I knew that if I went into a career path that really, um, you know, really leveraged my client and sales skills, that I was going to be extremely successful. And I absolutely passionately believed that I had the skill set, the raw skill set, to succeed maybe not the grades but definitely the skill set.
0: And you did just reflect a little on your family background to say what made you succeed in sales and finance when others might not have dared to tread there.
1: Um, I think I would attribute it very much to being of all things um, the middle child of three children were only a year apart um, so I wasn't the oldest and I wasn't the youngest I was smack in the middle and so I think I always had to figure out ways um, to kind of differentiate myself. And um, I made that sort of a lifelong pursuit, which is, you know, what is it about me that really differentiates me from others? And so I spent a great deal of time studying people who were successful because I wanted to understand the attributes of, of what it takes to be successful from all different fields, from all different walks of life.
0: But but it was very heady stuff, wasn't it, to be there in finance, to to, to be dealing with these products, to try and sell them, to have colleagues who were so high powered. You know, you were a high wire act at a very early time for women. Right.
1: Um, I think it was. This was when the business schools admitted very few women, but they were okay with women coming in very young. And so for me to start at Columbia Business School at the age of 22, to be a full-time associate at Goldman at the age of 24, allowed me to make a lot of mistakes early in my career. Um, and so I think I had a tremendous advantage. Um, I was also young enough and naive enough um, to, to, to think it was okay to uh, to make mistakes that I could recover from that um, i wasn 't so set in in sort of whatever the you know sort of the you know the the visual was of of what success meant. I just said if I go in there and I prove myself and I do a great job they 're probably going to let me stay and so I had sort of an adventurous spirit when I went in
0: and, and that adventurous spirit actually. Um, allowed men
1: to warm to you. And it was men who you were men, who were your mentors who brought you forward. Yes. Um, I think, again, because of where I worked at Goldman Sachs, because I was on a trading floor, um, I was in very close proximity and so could learn the language of the trading floor. Um, I didn't need somebody to translate for me. Middle child stuff again. <laughs> yes. And so I, I, I really think that I was at a significant advantage um, to be able to learn from the people sitting around me. And I was on a, on a sales desk with people who were significantly more senior than I was, but within earshot. So I actually believe that I succeeded at a much more rapid pace because I had access to these amazing individuals.
0: And you told that lovely story, which was about nothing other than brass neck, when your professor was, was said that you were going to flunk... Uh, your degree and and you you basically said what if you do I'll write a suicide note and I'll name you professor um have you had that sort of brass neck gall throughout your life
1: um yes as a matter of fact I um when I was in the training program uh, it's a six-month training program at Goldman Sachs and um they didn't think that I was ready for prime time and so I had three bosses there were three partners in charge and um they said we're going to put you on probation Um, And so I I let that go on for about two weeks. Probation, by the way, is code for we're probably going to fire you. Um, And so one day I walked into the first partner's office and I said, "Um, uh, the other two partners think it's okay if, if you let me off probation. And so the partner said, well, if those two think it's okay, then I guess it's okay. And I went to the second partner and the third partner and said, the other two think it's okay. And to this day, they never, ever figured out how I actually got off probation or who actually said it was okay. But they all thought it was the other two. So that was, uh, that was how I got to stay at Goldman. That again sounds like
0: middle child to me. But, but, but if we then sort of um, have a look at, at how you then coped uh, with a, an institutionalized culture within Goldman Sachs, that's what gave birth to 85 Broads, wasn't it? And it's not about 85 Broads being women in a Marilyn Monroe way, right. but 85 Broads being the address of Goldman
1: Sachs. Right. Right. Um, I think it was, I felt so lucky that I had had the most extraordinary career, and I mean really extraordinary. Um, and, and I was so jazzed and so excited about what we were building. And um, when I left, um, I thought to myself, how do, I, how do I make sure that other women who are coming up the ladder know how much fun it is. So how do they, how do they continue to be excited and inspired? Um, and so that was really the purpose of 85 Broads, which was to feed, you know, all of that excitement and inspiration. It wasn't just that women left, you know, maybe never to be seen or heard from ever again. It was really to cheer from the sidelines. That was really the whole, um, you know, the, the real impetus behind 85 Broads, which is there are lots of women out there you know who want you to succeed, who've been in your shoes, who then went on to build a career, and maybe now are doing other things. Um, but it was it was really just to make sure that they knew that there were you know that they were really supported. And then you
0: connected it to Harvard because when you you met some Harvard women, you think, well, why aren't they members too? So in a, a Janet hansen type way, you just opened up those doors and said, "Come on down." Right. And
1: and because in in many many ways, eighty five broads was probably too exclusive. Um, It was, uh, you know, the affinity was Goldman Sachs. You either worked there or you had worked there. Um, And I think what was so exciting um, about opening 85 Broads up as a network to other incredibly talented, trailblazing, super smart women um, was that smart women can do a lot of really amazing things together. And I think the, um, the thing that came as a surprise to Goldman Sachs um, because remember, we launched 85 in in late 1999, and the question from a person on the management committee was, who let her do that? And they, they were asking the right question, which is, but she's not in the building anymore. She doesn't work here anymore. So how can she be starting a network for ex-Goldman women? Okay, they got that, but current Goldman women as well. And I think that was really when the firm really started to understand the power of the internet um, and that we were going to build sort of what we called our cyber clubhouse, you know, in a way that allowed women to benefit from having this relationship outside of the confines of 85 Broad Street.
0: You then decided to leave the corporate culture and actually you set up a business with your, your husband. Yes. I'll come to your personal life in a minute. But, but that's a very bold step too, isn't, yeah. isn't it? Because in the world of finance, I mean, you had to borrow one and a half million. And, you know, you, there were times when it was tricky in terms of success or failure. Was there a defining moment when you decided, I've got to do it now or I'll never do it?
1: Um, very definitely. Um, after two years in the asset management division at Goldman Sachs, I felt that we had a a deep enough knowledge base to try to launch our own asset management company. What really drove us to do that was that we wanted to work together. My husband and I really wanted to work together. And we wanted to create a life that allowed us to have, both of us, have tremendous flexibility so that we could um, you know, spend probably more than the average amount of time with our kids, um, and, and we wanted the freedom. We, we were willing to take the risk in order to have the freedom um, to be able to call our own shots, and I think that, that because we both wanted that so passionately, you know, we, were able to, we were willing to work very, very hard to get it.
0: And you did pepper in bits about your personal life in, into your lecture today at Judge Business School because you said it's, it's important, one, as a woman, to have a personal life mm-hmm. and not just see the blokes having one, and you're working so hard you don't get it. But two, in a jokey way about the failure of your first marriage, because you say that you need a supportive partner to succeed, right. that, that actually one needs the other, and yes. that's how you achieve success. Right.
1: And I think the, um, what women are finding um, today is um, that they have choices. They have a lot more choices than they think, um, which is if you're in a work environment that doesn't work for you, change it. And the one thing that I give myself tremendous credit for was, yes, I did go back to Goldman Sachs because we did need one of us to be making a steady income, but I went back with a plan and I had a strategy. And I think oftentimes women may find themselves in a in a career path that is not all that satisfying, but they haven't figured out what's their exit strategy. And I think it's so critically important To always be thinking about what's your next gig? What are you gonna do in your next act? Okay? And so when I went back to Goldman, I was very much thinking, you know, how am I gonna take my knowledge base, you know, and then go out and do this on my own? And I think if more women sort of looked into the future and said, where do I wanna be five or 10 years from now, you know, it's not just wishful thinking, it's what do I need to get there? And you definitely did
0: have what it took to get there, and in fact, you were collegiate in your values. You took other women with you, and and talking today to other women helps mentor, helps encourage them in their career. But if you'd got an MBA from Judge Business School, you were putting your CV out to employers in the middle of this global recession. Mm -hmm. Surely it's never been tougher for women to succeed.
1: Um, I think it's tough for everybody. Um, I don't even think that it's necessarily specific to women. I think... It may be perceived to be tougher because it's ex- the, the whole global atmosphere right now, I think, is somewhat intimidating in that it does appear that, that well, certainly in the United States, our unemployment rate is approaching 10%. Um, so there seems to be, the focus seems to be on how many people are losing their jobs, um, how many industries are, are, are uh, you know, cutting, uh, you know, workers by the thousands, um, but there are great career opportunities they just may not be in the traditional industries you know that have supplied you know a, a you know a significant number of the of the uh, career paths in the past for instance in the United States, the two big ones would be consulting and banking um, judge has a much more diversified portfolio in that their students tend to go into a variety of of, of career paths so th- they don't, they're don't. they not probably feeling the impact of the financial meltdown um, in, in terms of that industry, maybe as much as some of the business schools in the United States, certainly on the East Coast. Um, but I think it really comes down to, um, you know, the people used to get herded into banking and consulting, even if they didn't really want to do that. That's where the money was. Okay, and that was the guiding principle for a lot of people over the last decade, and I'm not talking about in the U.S., where you came out of school and you went into a career path that was going to pay you the most. I think now um, that the global meltdown has, has sort of leveled, you know, the playing field in a, in a kind of a strange way, I think more people are choosing to follow their passions um and And really thinking about what is it that they want out of life, because I think for the people who chase the money um you know that that 's that that's that 's turned out to be kind of a you know a fairly uh you know empty pursuit you also uh,
0: you 've got two children in their late teens. So you know all about flexible working and the great thing about being self-employed in any business, even if it's a successful financial business, is you can make out or map out your own hours. Do you think that institutional changes like Great Britain's Equality Bill, the introduction perhaps throughout Europe of flexible working, do do you think that national and international level changes at a government level can help you succeed in your career? Or is it all down to you and your guts and your determination?
1: I think it's it's probably a combination of both, but I have to tell you um you know some of the great companies, global companies, have studied diversity they've studied flex programs they've studied you know different um uh you know benefits and perks for their employees to try to retain the best and brightest that they have um, and I think that they always viewed it as something that they would make available um you know on a on a fairly limited basis. I think over the next five to 10 years that is going to change very dramatically because what flex is, what that's code for is probably um, telecommuting. It's whatever is going to save money. And I think a lot of very smart policies are going to be enacted, you know, whether it's to cut down on, on uh, global warming or to make workers more efficient and more productive. Um, but clearly there is a bottom line Um, uh, you know, focus, which is if it helps the company become more profitable, then they'll do it. So it's going to move, in my humble opinion, away from, you know, sort of where it's been traditionally, which is in the HR bucket, to really, you know, focusing on how do we compete globally. Um, And the only way you can do that is to make sure that your employees are really engaged and really happy. And everybody wants some sort of flex. Everybody.
0: Well, just finally, Janet, let's tell one of those apocryphal Janet Hansen stories. Like you said you were going to run a triathlon and someone said, don't be silly, you smoke four packets of cigarettes a day. <laughs> but but is, is it just that brass neck gall? Is it just seeing where you want to go and strategically putting a marker in the ground and getting there that makes women in leadership successful? What what tip would you give to somebody starting out at the judge?
1: Um, the the I think the thing that has guided me throughout my entire lifetime, the one attribute that I think um, is, is attributable to my quote unquote success, I'm highly curious. I am curious about almost everything. And a if you're a curious person by nature, that means you're fascinated by things. And if you're fascinated, then you ask questions and you become inspired and excited You know about things that you want to know more about, and the only way you can ever know more about something is to ask somebody. And I think I developed at a very early age an ability to engage people in conversation. And so, if 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 I was going to say to somebody, you know, what's the best piece of career advice that I could give you, it would be to to engage people in a conversation you know, where you can be inspired and empowered, you can feel a sense of connection, you know, and that will help you, you know, better understand what it is that you want for your own own future.
0: Well, some might say that's the middle child again being irritating with the others going up and asking questions. (laughs) (laughs) It is true. It's being curious. But, but, you know, do do you think now you've had a CV at various points in your career and now you're inventing that midlife CV for women, the so-called creative cv we've asked about people just starting out in in their careers uh, and i promise this is and finally what about for women in midlife it's tough isn't it particularly in a recession
1: um i think one of the uh, a key focus um is is the whole um crisis around opting back in if you have been out of the workforce for a number of years how do you opt back in And I think that that's where networks become so valuable. You have to be connected. Even if you're not in a job, if you're not in the workforce, you have to be connected to people who are. And I think that that as long as, you know, you look at your set of relationships, you know, whether you're, again, in the traditional workforce or you're in transition, you know, you have got to take it upon yourself. It's incumbent upon you, okay, to make sure, you know, that you are really nurturing relationships that, that, you know, over time, whether in the short term or in the long run, you know, are going to help you make, you know, the happiest and best decisions that you can, you know, for your own career path. But it's it's hard yards, it's hard work, but you have to do it. And you have to follow your passion. Right. Definitely.
0: Janet Hanson, thank you very much indeed for talking thank to you. Judge Business School,
1: Women in Leadership, 85 Broads <laughs> podcast series today. Thank you.